Welcome, and thank you for joining the Society for Clinical Research Sites for SCRS Talks. I'm Jimmy Bechtel, the Vice President of Site Engagement with the Society. SCRS Talks allows our partners and those that we work closely with to take a few minutes to address issues of industry concern, share exciting achievements, and learn about our community. Today, we're here to talk about decentralized trials, or DCTs. They are one of the most important and current topics in the research industry right now. Since the introduction of DCTs several years ago, industry partners have touted their capabilities really with the goal of making clinical trials easier to manage for everyone. Now that we have a couple of solid years with our industry having engaged in decentralized trials and performing elements of decentralized trials, we also have a lot of data and evidence around their challenges. Uh, we're lucky to have Craig Lipset, the advisor and founder of the Clinical Innovation Partners and the chair of the Decentralized Trials and Research Alliance, or DTRA. And he's here to share what we've learned as an industry so far and how we can move forward with navigating some of the challenges and opportunities for the research sites specifically and decentralized trials. Craig, if you wouldn't mind a brief introduction from you. Jimmy, thanks so much. It's really a pleasure to be here with you and the SCRS community. Always grateful for the fabulous work this group does, both with convening as well as some of the important initiatives it's driving to help to grow and support our sites and the site ecosystem. I'm uh, working today with DTRA, as you mentioned, I co-chair the Alliance together with Amir Kalali. And I, I have a few other hats I wear, including serving as the vice chair of the MedStar Health Research Institute, a 12 hospital system in the mid-Atlantic and an adjunct assistant professor at Rutgers University in health informatics. Let's go and let's talk about some decentralized trials, Jimmy. Absolutely. Well, uh, Craig, I think that uh, probably everyone listening, I'd be surprised if no one knew who you were or this was the first time hearing from you. You're a prominent voice in our industry and a leader um, in an organization that really is focused on the industry moving forward successfully with decentralized clinical trials. Um, I'm excited to get your perspective on the site piece of this equation. So what has DTRA learned are the biggest challenges for the research sites when it comes to managing our DCTs? I think for sites today, there are quite a few challenges out there. It's not uh, it's not to be taken lightly. I think we're all still struggling to reconcile around best practices. We need to all do better in terms of managing change. I think when we hear from uh, sites, some of the biggest concerns today are, where uh, should I invest? What can I invest in in this space around technology or different services and capabilities? What can I bring to this? What does DCT readiness mean to those who are involved in site selection? And how can I communicate a certain state of readiness? What does that even mean? How do we manage budgets? And how am I kept whole when so many other stakeholders are getting involved in pieces of this process? And how do I maintain my responsibilities as the site when there are so many different stakeholders starting to engage that are looking at me to sign delegations of authority? Am I really still in control of this process? Several large issues, right, Craig? These are, like you had said, these are not trivial. They're big. They affect the well-being of the sites and ultimately their sustainability and longevity. Jimmy, it really is causing us just to, to challenge our assumptions of what is a site. 
today and what is a site versus what are the capabilities that surround and support the site. Uh, it was much easier uh, for us when everything was brick and mortar to point to a front door and say, right. that's a site. And that person inside is a study coordinator and the person next to them is an investigator. And that's my site. And today it's uh, it's a little fuzzy right in terms of what is that line of what is truly a site in today's ecosystem versus a supporting function to the site. Absolutely. Uh, Craig, you talked about investments, right, and insights and making decisions around technology, but what what investments could or should sites be making for these technologies from, from your perspective, right? And uh, to that, how can a site use their own technology when supporting uh, decentralized trials? I think about this question a lot, and I often will break it down into a few different archetypes of, of sites today. If you are a site that is a part of an academic uh, institution and you have your own investigator-initiated research taking place, you should be looking at ways to incorporate decentralization within your own programs to build more readiness, to build more capability and capacity. And that's a little more straightforward. Those are studies that the site truly has full control over the scope, the tools, the technology that are being used. If you are a part of a site network, if you are a part of um, one that maybe is owned by private equity or some other stakeholder or otherwise has access to capital and resources because of a, a critical mass, you may have certain ability to invest in technology versus some other sites that may struggle to make some of those upfront investments and maybe can only cover perhaps investing in some upfront training and readiness. But how do you recover that investment in today's multi-center trials is really tricky. How can a site invest in e-consent, video, and other capabilities on their own if in the context of a multi-center trial, sponsors and CROs are, are going to demand, insist, expect that sites are using technology that they are bringing and provisioning? And so we are still in this fuzzy somewhat state of transition as we're still understanding all of this. I think that there is a future. There is a future that we can point to, one where sites can bring more of their own technology, BYO, into these trials and where technology can be provisioned by sites and sponsors only when it's required. That future we know what we need to do to get there in terms of defining minimum quality standards and focusing on the interoperability that matters. And we know where we can start to make that happen in terms of electronic consent and use of video and letting sites use more of their own tools. And in fact, many sponsors are going there today, for example, around use of video and trying to enable sites where possible to use their own and only provision where it's needed. We need to amplify that and see more of that so that sites that can invest in technology and technology that will help to normalize approaches and make this feel less chaotic so that they can recover those investments, but not leave behind sites that aren't able to make that investment and make sure we're still provisioning tech only for sites that need it. 
There are other areas that some sites are exploring. I know some sites that are already looking into home health capabilities and some that have stood up their own or maybe are leveraging and repurposing some of the home health infrastructure they have available as a health provider or as a health system. I think that these are all still emerging areas for so many of us, but these are important for us to talk about, to explore in places like DTRA and SCRS, and to try to be fully transparent about needs and what what we can do to make these futures come to life. It's uh it is an interesting dynamic that's evolving here Craig and I liked your emphasis into the point around we are going to have sites who are able to do this and we're going to have sites who are not as easily going to be able to do this currently, right? Just by sheer amount of available resources. And that it's important, I think the takeaway message from that portion was that it's important for our sponsor and CRO and even uh, technology supplier partners to understand that there needs to be a little bit of optionality there. You need to be flexible when it comes to sites implementing their own technology when they have the capability, but also, as you said, be able to allocate that when there is a gap that exists, all with the spirit of making sure that that trial is executed as quickly, diversely, um, and efficiently as possible, and um, of course, safely. So that's that's really helpful uh, to understand it and to emphasize. You know, Jimmy, there's an analogy we can point to. For years, we provisioned devices for patients to use when self-reporting data with ePro and electronic diaries. And now many have moved to more of an app-based approach to let patients who are participating in our studies use their own technology. Now, we know we can't just walk away from provisioning. There are some for whom access to that technology is just not available. And we don't want to leave those people behind. So we provision in those cases. And we're going to have to do the same with our site allies as well. Otherwise, we risk marginalizing and losing those younger sites that aren't able to make these types of investments and are still a critical part of our investigator ecosystem, our clinical research infrastructure. And in a day and age where research sites are becoming increasingly far and few between, uh, difficult to find, it's really important, I think, to uh, to emphasize that point. But what about budgeting, Craig? That was another challenge that you talked about, and it it, it continues to be a challenge for site budgeting and, and really costing at the site level. Can you share some advice or best practices that you might have for sites as they budget and negotiate the additional time that's really needed in a lot of these trials for decentralized trial elements. You know, Jimmy, I, I wish I could share phenomenal strategies here, but what I can share is that this is an area of active interest in DTRA. I know that this SCRS community shares this, and I think this will be a great area for us to continue to develop and work up some sound community-wide best practices together. Because right now, there is a lot of sense of shift in terms of uh, budget for certain visit tasks and activities being shifted from the site to other third parties, but we have to keep the sites whole and there is still bona fide work, whether it's around oversight or accountability that still needs to be covered. And in many cases, site staff could or should still be participating over video during a lot of these interactions and encounters in the home, in which case, again, time needs to be fairly compensated. And so there may be, it's very likely that with a lot of these decentralized approaches, the per patient cost may be reduced for a site as some of these other stakeholders may be performing certain tasks. 
that of course the hope is that with sites we can make that up in volume because we're enrolling from a larger geographic radius around the site and enabling more patients even if the number of activities and revenue attached with an individual patient may be somewhat reduced it is going to be interesting for me to watch how some sites are able to respond perhaps by creating and supporting some of their own capacity and capability for example in areas like home health not an easy step for organizations to take it there's a lot of legal and other resource concerns of course but if home health is going to remain a cornerstone of clinical trials going forward will sites no longer be in a position to sign delegations of authority and instead simply deploy their own resources to manage this just as they do when sites or visits are taking place at the site um, and hold on to and retain more of the revenue in that study. Absolutely, Chris. There's a lot around the sites understanding their own costs, right? That's one of the big challenges that we hear there is, is taking the time to step back understand what these new elements are for these trials and what the costs are going to be. And that's not an easy process because it's so varied across trials, right? Different trials are gonna have different elements of decentralization. They're gonna look a little bit different depending on the piece of technology. Um, so that's a it's a huge challenge for the sites, but being able to, to enable some of those things that you had mentioned uh, is really important for the sites in being able to um, understand what their costs are. And, uh, but more importantly as well, from my perspective, the sponsors and CROs being receptive to those changes and understanding that this is different. It is a different dynamic for the sites and, and reimbursing those costs is critical to their longevity, as we have mentioned several times now, as and their sustainability. Craig, the industry has said that DCTs will enable access to a broader and more diverse patient population, a point we've made a couple of times now. We know that these populations traditionally already have compromised trust of the research enterprise. Really, the, the, the populations that we are looking at here to, uh, sometimes tend to fall into this, we'll call it the, a compromised trust grouping here. Why would they be more apt to see a virtual Dr. Smith than their local provider, right? Why do we think that this is going to enable these diverse patient populations? We're touting this as a solution to the industry, yet we hear our diverse focused colleagues advocating for what uh, a term around relationships of trust that you simply cannot get in a virtual environment. So, you know, talking about this, what are some of the ways we can work together to bridge this, this gap in, in relationships of trust? And again, find ways in which we can enable this for our diverse populations. Jimmy, challenges of diversity, inclusion, representation in clinical trials have a number of different dimensions to them. We have diversity around gender and identity, around age. We have diversity of geography and making sure we can include those um, who may not be in proximity of sites. And of course, around race and ethnicity. There are so many of these different dimensions for us to keep in mind. Does decentralized help with diversity? Well, 
In some areas, yes. In some areas, it can be a contributor. In some areas, it could be actually a detriment if it's not deployed correctly. So let's break it down a bit. Does de decentralized support around diversity for geographic access? Absolutely. That is sort of the entry point for decentralized for patients who may be willing, interested, or receptive, or, and they're simply marginalized because of where they live in certain parts of a country. Or uh, right, so decentralized there makes a ton of sense. What about with regards to race and ethnicity? Well, decentralized could help. Decentralized could actually swing the other direction if it's not deployed well. If we are deploying tools that are expecting people to have certain technologies around them, to have certain bandwidth of internet access in their homes, then we're going to lose people. If we're not being inclusive in how we're designing and executing those studies, but the key word that you're hitting on when we think about so many of these traditionally marginalized communities, obviously, is trust. Decentralized will not on its own solve the challenges of trust in many diverse and underrepresented communities. Decentralized can be a part of that story, a part of that solution of how we can help to address and remove barriers around trust adjacent to it. If people are struggling to uh, take time off from work with the burden of travel for sites, childcare or other barriers, decentralized can help there. But it's not going to be a silver bullet for trust. It has to sit, be served alongside of other solutions. Now, Decentralized, though, of course, doesn't just mean a virtual Dr. Smith. Decentralized could mean that we're taking advantage of retail pharmacy. We're taking advantage of other in-community locations where study visits could take place. What about study visits taking place in the office of your local community physician without them being an investigator with your PI on the video screen? But again, using that trusted location as the place to go that you already know and is in your community, um, already earning trust because they're delivering value in, in a meaningful way back. Now, what about virtual Dr. Smith? Now, data is early, but there is data that's starting to come through showing that these studies that have been using a remote model entirely are doing so in a way that is enrolling representative patients. I can't speak to the details if they are making extraordinary additional efforts around their recruitment in order to make that happen, but data will rule the day. And as we start to see more and more evidence from those fully remote models, we'll see if they are truly able to deliver representative patient populations. But as you know, virtual fully remote models are, are really just one archetype of many around decentralization today. Craig, I like how you broke it down by our domains of diversity, right? And I think it's an important point to emphasize for our listeners is that decentralized trials are not the end-all be-all solution for enabling diverse and disproportionately served patient populations in our clinical trials. They will help potentially various barriers to diversity or various uh, reasons why we're not able to reach these patients. So I think that's a really important perspective for us to take is identify where DCTs will help and where they won't and where they are at risk of not helping, as you had mentioned, and, and, and really focus in on those areas. 
Craig, as we begin to wrap things up a little bit here, I'll ask my final question here. And and that's very, very forward thinking, right? What do you see as the future of decentralized clinical trials? And how can sponsors, CROs, and our technology provider partners ensure that they're getting that site feedback when developing these new technologies and protocols for that future? I do think that we are still in this version 1.0 around decentralization, whether that's including areas like electronic informed consent, using more uh, electronic diaries and occasional connected devices, uh, using some home health services, extending our drug supply chain for patients at the home. Many organizations are really focused on how they ramp up and scale in those lanes. There are other more edge use cases that are seeing more and more daylight around pop-up sites, around mobile units, around retail pharmacy and other aspects. I think we'll see more and more doors, more diversity of what location means. But how will we get that site feedback? Because of SCRS and, and the important role that SCRS is taking in, in, in ensuring that there is a, a well-spoken seat at the table, a well-earned seat at the table. This is a, an important choice of words, by the way, I don't take lightly. Nobody is entitled to have a seat at the table, in my opinion. Sites, patients, ClinOps groups, CROs, tech companies, everyone needs to earn that seat at the table. No one is entitled to be a part of the clinical research ecosystem if there is an, a future where they are rendered obsolete because there's a more efficient way without them there. I think that the way that sites ensure and stabilize and solidify that seat at the table is by doubling down on what they have done so well for years, which is deliver an incredibly positive experience for research participants. Obviously, safety and data integrity are table stakes, but when sponsors look at the data on patient perspective on their experience at research sites, that's what wins the day. Pharma will continue to listen to patients. And when patients point to sites as being an incredible, incredibly important part of their experience, then regardless of technology or hype or buzz, that role is stable and sound. There may be other access points and ways and, and flexible models for how patients engage, but then that seat at the table is not just being granted, it's earned in, 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 a, in a meaningful and high impact way. That's great, Craig, and, and an important point. I think it's a great way to end and an important point for our industry partners to to understand. Nobody is entitled to some of the things that you had had mentioned there. So it, it, it's fantastic, Craig. And I want to I want to thank you for your presence here today with us, your time and your ability to to speak with us on this extremely important topic. It, as you can see, it really does touch so many different elements of what it means to be part of a clinical trial and really is going to be something that affects the future of the sites and their their sustainability. So your positive outlook, yet cautious optimism, <laughs> we'll say uh, around decentralized clinical trials is really important for our community to hear. So thank you for being with us today. Jimmy, thanks so much for the opportunity to join you in the community and thank you for all the fabulous work you guys are continuing to do. We'll talk to you again soon, hopefully. Absolutely. Thanks, Craig. And for everyone listening, make sure that you register for our upcoming summits by visiting the summit page on our website, myscrs.org. 
We appreciate your participation in today's program and looking forward to having you join us for more great content in the future. Thank you for listening.